Welcome back to The Dark Side. I'm your host, Brianna. Dyson's here. And this is Dark Adaptation. Woo! Okay, so we're starting this episode with some pretty exciting news. There has been an update to the El Naz Hashtamiri case. Yeah. So this is a case that we covered in episode 11. March 4th. Exactly. March 4th. Um, it's the case of El Naz. She is from Richmond Hill. In December, she was viciously attacked in the parking garage of her building. Mm-hmm. And the two suspects in her assault uh, have been wanted since then. Yeah. Um, people have been, the police and everything have been looking for them. And in January, she was abducted from the house that she was staying in at Wasaga Beach because she was obviously trying to get away from the attack and be safe. And she was fucking abducted. Mm-hmm out of that home, but the York Regional Police have arrested and charged Riaset Singh, 23 years old, of Mississauga, in relation to the attack on Elnaz in that parking garage. They are still looking for the other suspect. There is a Canada-wide warrant that has been issued for him. His name is Harshdeep Binner. He's from Brampton. So... I guess just keep your eyes peeled for that. I guess I will. Brampton runs the border of the town I'm from, so... Yeah, keep your yeah. eyes peeled for Harsh Deep. Yeah. Um, he, there's photos. We have shared photos on our Twitter, on our Instagram. Obviously, if you just Googled El Naz's case, you'll see the photos of the suspects, but they have one of them. Yeah. They have actually been um, charged, well, Singh has, because he's he's been arrested mm-hmm. he's charged with attempted murder attempted kidnapping possession of property obtained by crime over five thousand dollars and mischief under five thousand dollars so they have him mm-hmm. let's hope that if we just keep sharing her story her case her photos everything that it'll uh bring harsh deep under arrest too yeah i have Full confidence it will at this point. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that as soon as they started reaching out, they um, released a press release in, uh, uh, I guess, different languages at this point when they were reaching out to... um... Yeah, her mother um, issued a video. She still lives in Iran. Mm -hmm. And so the press around here and stuff like that released that as essentially a plea to get attention. Look for Elnaz. She's still missing. And it's just really exciting because this happened in January and there's been minimal coverage on it. There has been minimal updates from officials end. So it's just it's really great that because we keep sharing her her story, it's starting to pick up bigger name podcasts have caught on. They're starting to share it on their platforms. Mm -hmm. It's just it's good. It's yeah. good. And and it is, like you're saying, no coincidence that once it starts gaining this traction and more and more people are, are knowing her story and sharing it, yeah. that these two people have been caught. Yeah, These men, these two men are suspects on, only from the December attack on her. Yeah, um, these are the ones that, that used a frying pan to attack her in her own uh, parking garage, right? Exactly. Yeah. So the 
abduction. Um, all we know is that there was that uh, white Lexus SUV. Mm-hmm. And the perpetrators are only described as three black men. So those men are still outstanding. We still have to, you know, get more information on who they are yeah. and what relationship they have to it. But yeah, well, one, I, I don't know if the police have come out to, to say it officially or anything, but one would speculate that the initial two men in that in that parking garage attack know something about the abduction that happened at Wasega Beach. Yeah, they the OPP have said in their their press releases that they do believe they're connected. Mm-hmm. Um whether whoever has, is behind orchestrating it all is what they mean in regards to the connection of the two. Yeah. Or if if Harshdeep and Riaset know. Yeah. But it's a movement. It's yeah. movement. We have there's one dude apprehended We'll get harsh deep if people keep sharing every uh, all the details about this, and it's just a really exciting update. It's awesome that it's the case. Her story is finally getting movement. Yeah, and kudos to her family for all the work that they've been doing to try and get that message out there. It's not a Mm -hmm. coincidence that we picked it up. It's not a coincidence that the larger podcast picked it up. It's because of her family and her friends who are sharing her story, and they started that hashtag bring Elnaz home. Um, her family behind her Instagram page called Bring Elness Home messages me regularly just saying thank you so much for sharing this story. Mm-hmm. And it's like almost sad because it's not something that y- you should ever be thanking people for. It should. It's such a horrible case. It's such a heinous attack that happened. All of it is so terrifying. Like it should be something that people know about. Yeah, what do you even say to that? I every time I see that come up where they're just asking people to like share it, like I just I just retweet it. I, I just share it out as and like you don't know what to say. Like you almost want to reply just being like, Are you, you alright? But it's like I know. You can't, right? So You just say, Of course, I'll keep sharing yep, and don't stop. If you don't stop, we're not. Exactly. So yeah, that's that's just a really I was really happy to see that sort of movement and just everyone keep doing what you're doing, keep sharing and We'll get answers soon. Yep. So for this week, this week's episode, we're getting a little bit weird with it. Yeah, we are. We're talking about a decommissioned military base and the bizarre happenings stemming from it. Oh. Camp Hero, a decommissioned military base located in Montauk, New York, is thought by many to have hosted government-sanctioned human experiments involving mind control, time travel, abduction, and hallucinogenic drug experiments. If you're thinking, man, that sounds more like the plot of a TV show. Well, you know, there's this little show. I don't know if any of you have heard of it. It's called Stranger Things. Yeah, that was inspired by the legends and conspiracy theories swirling around Camp Hero, located on the tip of Long Island. Wow. The creepy abandoned radar tower that looms over the area is believed to be the hub of these strange happenings. Oh, that is Stranger Things.
In April of 2009, a Montauk resident living in a housing development near Camp Hero phoned police. He said when he went to bed the night before, the dish on top of the old Cold War radar tower was pointing to the northeast as it always has. But when he got up the following morning, he saw the dish had moved roughly 90 degrees counterclockwise from where it had been the night before. So now, the dish was pointed northwest. Huh. The fact that the dish was turned in a new direction was startling to him because that radar tower was decommissioned and it had not moved since it served its final day for the Air Force in 1966. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that could be alarming. You yes. could see that. So he was like, what the fuck? Oh, 911? <laughs> um. How do you even explain that? <laughs> okay, well... It's so after he called, the Montauk officer was dispatched to the scene and he observed that the dish was pointing to the northwest, just like the caller had said. But the problem was, even though the officer had lived in Montauk for ages, like most of his life, he couldn't remember what direction the dish typically pointed in. Oh, no. So he wasn't sure if it had moved or if maybe the caller was confused and the dish was always pointing northwest. Like a Berenstein, Berenstein bear situation. (laughs) Yeah, it's just like one of those things where it's like, if it's always there, if it's always around you, you know it's there. You've seen it. You're like, oh, I know what you're talking about. But you sort of just become like desensitized to it. So you're not thinking about exactly what direction it was pointed in. Yeah. And and also it's one of those, um, like the the actual tower itself, the radar dish is a, a steel wires almost right like it's not like a flat you're not picturing like a satellite dish you're picturing like almost like a like yeah it's kind of like the, it's the skeleton of it yeah so at one point it was a solid dish mm-hmm. but because this it was decommissioned since the 60s now it's just sort of like the metal skeleton so of i can it. i can imagine that probably threw people off because they right. look at it and they're like well like it looks like it's pointing that way and then you would be like, well, it's pointing that way. And then like five years later, you're like, wait, is it pointing the wrong way now? I know. Yeah. So this guy obviously was like, had a good vantage point or or mm-hmm. frequently looked at it. And when he woke up, he was like, um, mayday, mayday. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Men going down. <laughs> so the officer, like I said, he, he was like, I don't fucking know what way it normally points. So he went to go and talk to the caller, which is this guy named Howard. And, he, and Howard was adamant that it moved overnight. So the officer was like, fuck, okay, well, I'll, I'm going to go out there and talk to other residents to see if they think it moved. So nine of the people that the officer spoke to said, even though the dish fucking looms over them at 110 feet, this mm-hmm. thing is huge. Mm-hmm. They never really noticed what way it pointed so they were in the same position as the officer. They're like, I don't fucking know. It's just there. I haven't paid attention to exactly where it's facing. Yeah. So the officer went to speak with a, a lifelong local resident, this guy named Max, uh, who said that the dish always pointed northeast. That's the way it pointed. It's always pointed that way. Mm-hmm. So when the officer was like, okay, Max, uh, you want to come out here with me? Just take a look at it. Uh, Max looked at it and he became really agitated and he said that it absolutely moved overnight. It should be facing northeast, and it was facing northwest. Weird. So police called the New York State Park Commission office 
to confirm how the radar tower was typically situated. They're like, okay, half the residents have no fucking idea because they don't pay attention. And the people who think they know are saying it moved. So let's get the the park commission and see what they say. Mm-hmm. So the office was like, sure, whatever. I'll check the records here. So they checked the 2002 plans for when the tower had been made into a state park exhibit. It should be pointing northeast. Uh-oh. Yeah, so it moved. Whoopsie doodle. Oopsie doodle. The Montauk Fire Department was called to the scene since it was apparent that this fucking dish had moved. And officials were worried it was coming loose from its moorings in the concrete tower. So the concrete tower is 90 feet tall and the steel dish is 20 feet high and 40 feet wide. Okay. So So it's a big boy. It's huge. Yeah. So the fire department's ladders couldn't reach the top of the concrete base to examine the moorings. So it was decided that they just abandoned their efforts because if it was true that the dish was loose, they didn't want to risk it coming down, like falling on top of everyone. Totally under- understandable. Yeah. it's fucking huge. So they yeah. were like, okay, we're, so you- we're, at a, we're in over our head here. Yeah, and this thing recently moved. Why don't I get my ladder and loom <laughs> under it? Yeah, hold on. <laughs> like they're getting a cat out of a tree? No, it's a fucking 40 feet wide satellite dish. Yeah, I don't know if that thing lands on its feet. So the, f- the fire department and the police instead decided to put a police cordon around the base of the tower until the parks department could dispatch experts to deal with the situation Mm -hmm. and this the to get the experts in that was arranged for the friday which is two days later because this call from howard came in on the wednesday right so the dish didn't move on wednesday night okay it didn't move on thursday night gotcha but friday morning the dish was facing southwest so again it moved 90 degrees in the night Oh my god. So creepy. And it's not like 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 I know we're harping on it, but it's it's a wire like it's a skeleton. It's not like it's picking the wind. Like no. it's not like a parachute just, yeah, just catching the wind and shifting either. No. It's it's moving. Oh no. It's moving. It has to be moving. Cause now it's like, okay, well maybe it faced north and the residents are like, oh, I don't know if it faced northeast or northwest. Like I I don't know. Like, now it's drawn, everyone's attention has been drawn to it. So they know that, okay, well, even if it wasn't facing northeast before, it's certainly facing northwest. Mm -hmm. So then two days later, to have all this attention on it, you look at it, it's obvious it moved because everyone knows what way it was facing now. Even the authorities were like, it's now facing this way. Yeah, and they got confirmation. Like, it shouldn't be facing that way. So now, at this point, it's 180 degrees moved completely around. Wow. So it's like, ooh, So a team of 15 experts from New York City Bridge and Flange Repair Company arrived in three trucks on Friday afternoon. And when they arrived, they were just met by this huge crowd of people that were behind the police barrier out there to watch. Mm -hmm. Because now, like I said, everyone's attention is on it. They're like, well, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, it's a fucking really interesting mystery right now. So the men, they were in helmets, they had all this climbing equipment, pickaxes, they got up on top of that concrete base and they spent an hour trying to see why the dish had moved, but they could not find any signs as to why or how. And the heavy bolts that held it all in place, Mm -hmm. they were a little bit rusted, but they were firmly holding everything in position. Yeah. 
There was no danger of the dish falling or coming loose or anything. The foreman from the company said, it's as solid as a rock. <laughs> I trust that man. I trust him with my goddamn <laughs> life, actually. That bad boy ain't going nowhere. Um, Christ. I don't know how to do a New York accent. Slaps the tower. This bad boy can hold so many conspiracies. <laughs> <laughs> so there was this uh, a guy, local, a Montauk war veteran at the scene, and he was also a retired Air Force colonel. His name is George Pincus. I'm immediately imagining the pilot in The Mummy. That's fine. Yep. Hey, Winston. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could have chucked it in with the others and gone down in a f flame of glory instead of rotting here with boredom and booze. Yeah, that was exactly the line. <laughs> Pretty much, eh? Yeah. Of boredom and booze. We watched The Mummy. We yeah. just watched it. Yeah. It's so great. Oh my god, it holds it up. It still holds up. It's so fucking good. It is. It really is. That was peak Brandon Fraser, too. Even I was like, he looks good. Looks good in that fucking... Now in the. that is a man's. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of suspenders, but he pulled them off. He did. Yeah. Because he doubled his holsters? Yeah, he's got double gun holsters. I have a story about double gun holsters, I'll tell you one day. Um, oh, you know what? I'll, I'll give it. I'll keep it short, I was though. Like, um, I'll condense it. Okay. One time I went to karaoke in Hamilton on the mountain. And uh, it was really rough looking place on the mountain though. On the mountain, okay. yeah. But it was on the on the skirt, like you just got up the hill. Okay. And uh, we got in there, like the outside is real rough. It wasn't exactly any nicer inside. And you know, we're used to it though. That's Hamilton. So you live in Hamilton. It's gonna happen. So it's karaoke, and then all of a sudden I see this guy with a ponytail, big dude, <laughs> come in, takes his coat off, mm. gets up onto the stage, and I realize he's got double gun holsters. There's no guns in it. Okay. But he's got the Dumble Gun holsters and he just starts singing pop songs. I cannot. <laughs> it was wonderful. It was magical even. Was he good at it? Did he have like his own He wasn't little, good like, at it, but he was fully committed. So you know when like someone's really fully committed yeah, they don't at karaoke? Have to be good. They don't have to be good if yeah. they're in it. Yeah, everyone was entertained. That's amazing. Everyone not and also I think everyone was also a little too scared to say anything otherwise. Was his ponytail blown in the wind? It was a long ponytail. That's fucking like, like, sick. Like like center back. All right. Ponytail, yeah. Fucking love that guy. Yep. So he was like up there singing like I think it was Lady Hell's Gaga. Angels, I gotta be honest. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I saw a motorbike out front. All right. They're just people too, okay? <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. They also have a base in Hamilton and all the all the windows and doors are boarded up so you can't see inside. But hey. <laughs> okay, so on our next episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying shit about that place beyond that because I don't need the attention. Thank you. Okay, so with that, great story. Mm -hmm. Thank you. A police cordon remained at the tower all Friday night. And on Saturday morning, the police removed the plywood coverings on the front door frames to the tower. And the Coast Guard Air Rescue Squadron at the Gabreski Airport in West Hampton contacted Army engineers. Mm -hmm. So by Saturday afternoon, the Army engineers arrived in helicopters. And using the original plans and roughly a dozen experts... The team entered the interior of the concrete base to determine what had come loose and attributed to the dish fucking moving. Yeah, something had to shift to make it just suddenly change. And the, also in 90 degree intervals. 
I know. That's the weirdest part. You know, it's really specific. It's almost like it's on a track and then it yeah. just locks at 90. So these fucking guys, these experts, they were in there for the whole day. They were in there fucking doing whatever. And they reported that everything inside was frozen solid. It was impossible. Solid as a rock. Solid as a rock. It was yep. impossible that there was anything in there that made that dish turn. So they were just back to ground zero. Like, what the fuck then? Yeah, where do you even go from there? Because so what else is doing it? Well, the police were, thought they had a theory. So really? on the following night, Sunday night, the police took a different approach. They were like, okay, you know what? If there's no sort of like mechanism internally or whatever that is making this move in the 90 degree intervals, it must be local teenagers thinking that it's funny or like playing a prank or something. Okay. So they took the police cordon down and off they situated officers in plain clothes to kind of loiter at the scene. They were going to be there all night. They were disguised as like campers on the beach, as fishermen, oh, they, hikers. They weren't just hanging around. They yeah. were committed to roles. Yeah. They were like, okay, get in there. Just look like a normal dude and stake out this tower. See who's moving that dish. This is, sorry, just to interject. Yeah. Uh, this is like, they took this extra seriously. Because it sat there since the 60s. Yeah. But they, they were like, uh-uh, no way. Someone's fucking with this. This is a serious issue. Well, yeah. Plus, think about it. They had they got the military in with yeah. experts. And they didn't find anything. So they're like, well, are we just fucking dumb? Are we just missing the fact that it's these asshole kids playing a prank on us or something? And meanwhile, mm -hmm. we had the military in here trying to figure it out. Yeah. So... Three officers went to some of the homes in that housing development near the camp and they went to the homeowners and they were like, yo, can we just like hang out in your attic and <laughs> use it as like a, a vantage point mm -hmm. so that we can hopefully catch these perpetrators in the act? And those homeowners were like, fucking sure, get up here, set up a vigil. This will be sick. So they staked it out all night. But the tower did not move. They did not see anybody moving that tower, and the tower didn't move. Mm -hmm. On Monday, East Hampton Town Supervisor Bill Wilkinson ordered that the stakeout be discontinued. He was like, all of y'all get back to work. We can't keep doing this for budgetary reasons. Understandable, because they did immediately yeah. get balls to the walls. They're yeah. like, Johnson, you're a fisherman now. <laughs> Kyle. Take a break. I don't like having someone named Kyle on my squad. <laughs> <laughs> on Tuesday morning, the radar dish had moved from the southwest position to southeast. You're fucking kidding. As soon as they stopped. As soon as they stopped. So the residents were, they were fucking like worried about it. They were scared. There was no answers. The police never figured out how it was moving. Mm -hmm. So people in the area were just like, what the fuck? I'd be scared. And still to this day, no one knows how it, and why it was moving. Well, obviously the tower wasn't on tracks, but the town was. They were shifting the town around. You're welcome. Do you like horror movies? Do you like hanging out with your friends? Do you like having a laugh? Do you like podcasts? Well, you should check out our podcast, Spoils of Horror. We're not a review show. We're a horror movie hangout where we talk about movies that are lost, forgotten, popular, and bizarre, 
all in the scary realm. You can listen to our podcast while you're doing just about anything. You could be washing your dishes. You could be washing your cat. You could be washing your genitals. (laughs) (laughs) All forms of genitals accepted. (laughs) We are a fully inclusive genitalia show. Yes. We are the number one ideal podcast for washing your genitals. Our genital Yelp reviews are unsurpassed. Five and a half stars. (laughs) You don't want to know where that half came from. uh... (laughs) Now that you know that, check us out on all major platforms. You can search for Spoils of Horror on all social media sites. Come and hang out with us. We'd love to see you. And your genitals. (laughs) Bye. The radar tower was from the Cold War era and was erected as part of the semi-automatic ground environment network. But just to be easy, it's the SAGE network. Okay. And this network involved large computers and radar sites used to aid in America's defense against Soviet attacks. This radar system acted as an early warning mechanism in the event of incoming nuclear missiles. This specific radar tower was the mother station to a series of smaller radar towers along the East Coast. Mm -hmm. This network of towers was believed to have afforded the U.S. government an extra 30 minutes of warning time in the event of an incoming Soviet nuclear attack. Every 12 seconds, the Montauk radar tower would rotate in order to communicate with the other towers. The frequency it gave off was so strong... It caused animals to freak out. Local people would experience headaches, bad dreams, and their electronic equipment would go haywire. During its reign, it was the most advanced surveillance radar available to the Air Force, as it was able to detect airborne objects from more than 200 miles from shore. Holy. Today, Camp Hero's radar tower is the only one that remains out of the dozens once situated along the American East Coast. It's currently a historic site and an instantly recognizable Long Island landmark. The 90-foot tall concrete tower and its 40-foot wide steel dish is visible for miles. And even though it's no longer active, that obviously doesn't keep the dish from mysteriously changing positions. Oh. But the Sage Radar Tower is only a small part of Montauk's history. Montauk has a documented history going back over 200 years. Hmm. The eastern tip of Long Island has always possessed strategic significance, even going back to 1792, when the Montauk Lighthouse was erected after the American Revolutionary War. The lighthouse's mission was to keep a lookout for invading ships. Montauk was always considered a prime location for a possible invasion because of its remoteness and its location between two major cities, New York and Boston. During high stakes times, like world wars or, you know, any war, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the uh, army was always stationed with various personnel at Montauk. Mm. So as I mentioned after our brief interlude... Camp Hero once played an important role during the Cold War, but the area's war roots go back to when the area was originally commissioned by the U.S. Army during World War II as a coastal defense station. Okay. Camp Hero was originally named Fort Hero, Mm -hmm. 
After this guy, you know, just Major General Andrew Hero Jr. Great name. Imagine your last name was Hero. Yeah. Like, you'd be like, it's really cool, but also like, woof, a lot to live up to. Yeah. Yeah. Watch you. You turn out to be like the black sheep in the family. How embarrassing. And you're and you're a junior. Junior. So yeah. you're, you're like, oh, God damn it. Yeah. Legacy on legacy. You're not even the Batman. You're the Robin. <laughs> well, well, he seemed to do pretty good because he was the army's chief of coast artillery Ooh. between 1926 and 1930. So he, he, I guess he was pretty living up to it, you know? Yeah, I would say. In World War II, with German U-boats threatening the East Coast, Montauk was considered a likely invasion point. The U.S. upgraded Fort Hero and renamed it Camp Hero mm. in 1942. Peak World War II. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> The army built a... Okay, this part's actually really cool. The army built a self-contained town, which included its own power plant, recreational facilities, docks, seaplane hangars, barracks, a giant torpedo testing facility, and oh. 600 feet long concrete bunkers. Wow. And these bunkers were equipped with 16-inch naval rifles and all of it was camouflaged with netting and foliage. Oh, they weren't fucking around. You want to know how much they weren't fucking around? Yes, I do. To protect the this camp from enemy bombers and enemy spies and fishing boats, the entire base was built to look like a typical New England fishing village. Oh, my God. So the concrete bunkers, like I said, they had this netting and foliage to make it just look like part of the landscape. Mm -hmm. um, there was windows painted on the buildings and the bunkers with these ornamental roofs that had fake dormers. The gymnasium that everyone could have, they were stuck in this town, so they had to like, you know go work out and get fit and stuff. Mm -hmm. So the gymnasium was made to look like a church and it even had like a faux steeple. Yeah. And today, like in the the area, the, this church is still there. It still looks like a church too. Oh, wow. Yeah. And during Camp Hero's World War II heyday, these 600 enlisted men and 37 officers lived and operated out of buildings that were painted to look like cottages. Oh, cute. So this whole camp was was camouflaged. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. So that if people were flying overhead or or in the ocean nearby, they would just look in and be like, oh, whatever. Yeah, it's a nice, quaint little town. Quaint. Exactly. They really, really went for, like, fully quaint. Yeah, like, yeah. straight up, like, village. Yeah, little do they know there's torpedo testing and... <laughs> <laughs> sounds like that one hell of a gym. <laughs> I know, right? Get, get, get your workout on, get your prayer on, whatever. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> when World War II ended... The base was temporarily shut down and used as a training facility by the Army Reserve. By this point, the naval facilities were largely abandoned, so those huge guns that were in the concrete bunkers, mm -hmm. they were dismantled um, in 1949. Okay. While the naval facilities were coming down, you know what was coming up? What? The Cold War. Oh, damn it. <laughs> And a major concern of the United States was a possible attack by Soviet long-range bomber planes. Yeah. So the United, United States, 
<laughs> the United look at here, fellas. <laughs> got a quaint little town. <laughs> oh, the United States Air Force directed its Air Defense Command to take radar sets out of storage for operation in the northeastern United States. Mm-hmm. And with this decision, a radar was placed at Montauk. The temporary operation by the Air Defense Command became more advanced and obviously proved to work in this area. So on December 1st, 1953, the site designation changed. The facilities were incorporated and renamed Montauk Air Force Station. And Montauk Air Force Station became a permanent Air Defense Command network. Nice. In November 1957, the Army closed the Camp Hero portion of the military reservation but the Air Force continued using the western half of the facility for their radar surveillance. Okay. The eastern portion of the site was donated to New York State, but it remained abandoned because of its close proximity to the high-security radar facility. Yeah, so <laughs> I could see why. So even though they're like, New York is like, sick, we got this all of this land, look at that. And it, meanwhile, the military is like, get the fuck away from our land. Yeah, stay, fucking, stay back. Cordoned off again. <laughs> So throughout 1958, Montauk Air Force Station worked to join the SAGE system, you know, that large computer network with radar sites used in America's defense against Soviet attacks, that whole... Yeah, the whole thing trying to save us from nuclear destruction, (laughs) that little thing. SAGE system. It's a great name. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. So much better than semi-automatic blah, 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 blah. I love that it's semi-automatic. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want to fly over a semi-auto anything. No. No. Thank you. <laughs> so by December 1960, the large high-power ANFPS-35 radar tower, which is the one we've been discussing since the beginning of this episode, yeah. it became operational at Montauk. It was supposedly the second ever built, and it used frequency diversity technology, making it resistant to electronic countermeasures. Wow. Oh, so they can't even knock it out. Nope. The ANFPS 35 was so powerful that it disrupted local TV and radio broadcasts, and it had to be shut down several times and recalibrated. Oh, People are like, what the fuck? I'm trying to watch my trying to watch my program. Yeah. <laughs> trying yeah. to sit down and watch my shows. The statics keeps happening. You're just trying to watch Bob Barker, who <laughs> I assume has been on the air since television was invented. <laughs> I, I wonder what people were watching in December or in 1960, 1961. Dick Van Dyke, maybe? All in the family, maybe? No, that was 70s, wasn't it? Leave it to Beaver. Um read a bunch. Mm. We have no idea. Wait, no, Brady. Is we this seventies? I have Marsha, no Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> People listening are like, for fuck's sake! Shut the fuck up! <laughs> Get your trivia knowledge under control. Burn your house down. Five stars. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> okay, so by 1966, the radar tower was a significant part of the Cold War. And guess how many military personnel were needed to keep this radar tower and the base operational? Oh, it was Kyle. <laughs> oh, just one man. One guy. Just one it's guy like named Kyle. It's like a lighthouse, Kyle. yeah. Maybe two at the most. <laughs> okay, how about 200? Oh, yeah, that was my third guess. Okay, so your third guess was right. 200 military 
we're stationed at this base. Military. 200 military. We had 200 militaries. <laughs> That's fuck. 200 That's military personnel were stationed at this base, which is why they had. So the like cool like gymnasium with, that was disguised as a church. That mm-hmm. was from like the World War II times. Mm-hmm. But in the Cold War times, they did a similar thing. They had these people who were like permanently stationed here. So they had erected a dining hall, barracks uh, for the people to live out of yep they even put in a bowling alley oh really yeah and today if you go to camp hero the bowling alley is still there it's still there it looks like shit but it's still there (laughs) that's insane i know it's just so cool i love it when there's like cold war era military shit and like it's just yeah and we never took it away the cold war is so fascinating to me hence why i'm giving you this history Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) i love it well it's important. I'm giving a history lesson. Well, it's it's cool too because I, I I'll have to take a look one day and see. But you know, at our at my cottage, the radar bases that were up there were Cold War era systems, part of Canada's yeah. defense system, and for the same purpose, they had an entire um, network that went all the way up uh, towards the Arctic to mm-hmm. identify any uh, Russian bombers flying over Canada to reach the states. Yeah, and it's yeah. Like- the old state the old base was like it's right near your cottage like it looms over it it looked a little different though we used to call it the golf ball there used to be three i believe Mm -hmm. uh and i remember them when i was probably like 10 there was still the three and slowly they dismantled it and it became the french equivalent of medieval times (laughs) that's so fucking random yeah and then that obviously did not pan out because it's abandoned again no because your cottage is in like tourist town yeah and then i i the neat thing is i did get a chance to go in there before like when they decommissioned it Mm -hmm. before the new buyers got a chance to build anything i did manage to get in there what was it like it was all cement gutted out building but you'd walk in there and they still had like it was wild there was still the like like black and white tiling on the walls and the the uh green turquoise colored doors that are so military so soviet and you could you could kind of tell where the um all the uh i guess the large computers were okay you could tell where they were too like the control center almost yeah exactly like almost if you imagine not to obviously not this degree but you know if you've ever seen like when they talk about like inside like a nuclear reactor they got all those big computers yeah it's those, just like those were colored like, buttons and lights and flashing yeah and... you could you could tell where they put those yeah that's so cool you got to see that yeah there's still photos up there somewhere i think on the internet that you can have a look at but yeah that's they, they so had a whole neat. base there i was wondering if it was part of sage but who knows uh well probably yeah it w- that's just like the overall name for like how technology was advancing with like the mm-hmm. radio and stuff so like yeah. it used to be a, a large before it was strictly a tourist town it used to be a large military area the the military would would be stationed there oh my god yeah that's so fucking cool yeah fucking history man Woo! Cold War is what we've been waiting for. <laughs> Drop the bomb, babies. <laughs> <laughs> but no. <laughs> the, so the radar tower went strong for over a decade. But by 1978, the Air Force had submitted a proposal to the Carter administration to close the base. Mostly because they they believed that it was becoming obsolete since there was this emergence of like the orbital satellites 
So like that w- was better for the reconnaissance technology that they needed to use for this sort of like surveillance. Right. They were like, uh, yeah. we got satellites now. I think it's time to put this bad boy to rest. Yeah, we stop paying 200 people to stay here when we have this thing flying in space. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know whatever if if Jimmy was still the president at this time or if it was the administration after Jimmy Carter, but the mm-hmm. Montauk installation was shut down on January 31st, 1981. Okay. S- but remember, this fucking radar tower is huge. So removing the antenna from on top of it proved to be a huge pain in the ass. I could imagine, yeah. So they were just like, yeah, leave it. Good it, call. It was abandoned Good in call. place. Yeah, well, like, it's, it's solid easier. as a rock. That's right. <laughs> so because, it, I mean, think about it. This was the fucking the motherboard, essentially. It was the reigning tower so it its presence was known it was used so heavily so so even though they had shut down this installation Mm -hmm. they had to keep a ground air transmitter receiver facility there to redirect incoming a nearby military aircraft to sort of get the word out there essentially like yeah we're kind of not here anymore okay so for three years they had people stationed there being like no, this this isn't an active place. Sir, we're close. You know. Sir, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> <laughs> so for three years, they had a, a a ground air transmitter receiver facility. Nice. Love Why it. Why can't the military use anything that just flows off the tongue? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> they got sage. That was, that was a peak moment for them. Acronym, though. Yeah. In 1984, the land was donated to the National Park Service. The land. The land. The, the land. Surface Not... only. Wait, what? The land was donated only. There was oh. paperwork in within this whole interaction that stipulated that New York State would own everything on the surface of the decommissioned base. Okay. But the government retained ownership of everything below the surface. What the fuck was below the surface? Isn't that a great question? And yes. the question you've just asked has made a lot of people wonder if the myths are true about the secret Montauk projects at Camp Hero. Yeah, I'm one of them now. What the fuck did they have in the ground? <laughs> what sort of stipulation is that? You can have the land, but whatever is underneath is ours. Just don't dig anywhere, right? I don't know. I don't know. So you, it's like, okay, well, yeah, now you're giving people fucking fuel to feed on. What is underneath it that is so secretive that... Rightfully so, I'd want to know. And that's not an unreasonable question because people are captivated and interested in secret military conspiracies because, you know what? What? They happen. Yeah, they do. You know, you want me to give you a few examples of... People who have been saying this is fucked up and the, and the military and government are like, no, 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 you're insane. And then guess what? They come to light. Yeah, hit me with them. Okay, here's one. Okay. 1932. The Public Health Service began what they called the Tuskegee Study of Untreated Syphilis in the Negro Male, where 600 black men, 399 of whom had syphilis, were observed and actively denied known treatments for this debilitating disease. Oh, my God. 
Syphilis is fucking scary as shit untreated. Exactly. That's so bad. If syphilis goes untreated, it can cause tumors, blindness, paralysis. It can damage your nervous system, your brain, other vital organs, and you can fucking die. It can kill you. Yeah, you could definitely fucking die from that. And this is real. This happened. Yeah. And it's that's fucked that's super fucked up and that oh god and like i was it like clinton or something that came out and was the one that was finally like sorry it was real if it was clinton it's still too late but it's way too late it's 90s clinton's 90s yeah so that's one the big one the big one that so many people were like something fucking fishy is going on here Mm -hmm. in the 50s 1953 the CIA began its 20-year MKUltra program. MKUltra? Yeah, MKUltra, where they tested drugs developed for, you know, supposedly interrogation and mind control purposes. Truth serums and, and whatnot? Truth serums, yeah. And, yeah. The, and these were tested on innocent, I was going to say innocent prisoners, like you're in prison for a reason, but I mean, that's... At this They're point, innocent of yeah. this. This is definitely At trampling a, on their rights. Exactly. Through the lens of a conspiracy theory using like prisoners who have no autonomy in the government's eyes mm-hmm. and students and hospital patients. They were testing these fucking drugs developed essentially as truth serum, like you're saying. So did they saw these people as disposable? Completely. Because they're like, okay, well, hospital patients, I should... <sighs> It's disgusting. I don't even have to elaborate on that. They're hostile. Yeah, they were just like easy targets. What are they going to do? Exactly the same with prisoners. Mm -hmm. But then students, it was all under the guise of like, oh, like you're you're on hard times. You're a student. You don't really have that much of an income or maybe you need some sort of experience in a lab or whatever the fuck. And they're like, well, let me just test this on you. Yeah. I mean, they I I know that at universities, they still hand up flyers and stuff asking if you want to be part of like a trial or something. Part of MK Ultra 2.0. I mean, if I didn't know what MK Ultra was, I would. I don't want acid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me neither. Those flashbacks terrify me. I want to be a Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> it's old Cyrus. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, you know what? What? We just stopped watching True Detective. I know, because we tried to watch the same episode four times and you kept falling asleep because we only watch it at like four in the morning. Guilty. <laughs> Guilty. Yeah, how dare you fall asleep at four? <laughs> so, I mean, that's just two of like the huge ones that have eventually come to light as real. Tuskegee study and the MK Ultra program. Like, I don't know, off the top of my head, I can't really think of any other than the one I want tell you about but do you know of any like weird conspiracy theories uh that could be like military or like government related i i do know of one Mm, yeah i've got one and it's kind of ongoing and it's just a big mystery happening at um i believe it's a canadian embassy in havana known as the havana phenomenon the oh the havana syndrome havana syndrome yes yeah and what's happening is that Suddenly, in around 2016, people in the embassy were starting to uh, feel sick or dizzy or get disoriented and nauseous. Oh, no thank you. They initially couldn't figure out what was going on. And then suddenly, 
this situation started springing up in other countries, Mm -mm. in Australia, in China. No. uh, Yeah, yeah, across Europe and even the United States in Washington, D.C. And there's a number of uh, theories as to what might be causing this, but nothing has officially been confirmed. So if people are like, oh, fuck, I'm a victim of the Havana syndrome. Yeah. What are they like? What is what is that? Well, there's three running theories as to what's causing it. But essentially, it's sound that is messing with people in a way that due to a long term exposure is causing them to almost lose their minds. Ooh. Yeah, it's it's very scary. Um, imagine you're working on your computer and then you just get nauseous, no. but you do it every day. No. Yeah. So there's three running theories as to what's causing it. And they're all related to sound. And they are essentially, be- they essentially believe that this is what's known as a sound attack. Um, so Ooh. there's two initial running theories with, related to sound attacks. The first being microwaves, which are essentially, if you imagine a sound wave, a microwave is those waves are going really, really quickly. So they're really scrunched up and they're really fast. Um, But you wouldn't hear it. You wouldn't really recognize it. But your body would. But your body. Yeah, your body would. And then the same situation is also applied to an ultrasound attack, which is just the waves are slower now. Um, And then. Those can be, there's military tools that can be used to emit those types of frequencies and make someone very ill without even knowing it. So you could be across the street pointing this, this, uh, I I guess you could almost call it like a sound gun or something at the embassy and people who are sitting at their computers inside are getting the effects, but none the wiser as to what's causing it. Oh my God. Silent. It's, you wouldn't even know. Yeah. Silent, but deadly. And then the third one is an odd one out of the bunch. Okay, wait. Do you have any guesses? No. You know guesses? Uh, well, you're like, okay, x-ray, okay, ultrasound. And the third one is an odd one. Yeah, microwaves and ultrasound. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I No, I don't know. Crickets. Okay, but what is it really? No, it's crickets. They say crickets are <laughs> causing this syndrome? Yep. Um... Believe it or not, um, they actually believe that because crickets are actually on the low end of the frequency. So remember when I talked about how ultrasound and microwaves, when you imagine a waveform. They move like, they're like more chaotic, like quickly. Yeah, microwaves and ultrasound are. They're very high. If if you could hear it, it would be super high pitched, but it's actually so high pitched you can't hear it. Well, actually crickets are the opposite. Believe it or not, they're actually low frequencies. Um, so when they're doing this, <laughs> it is also can be inaudible, but it would make you ill. It's just so weird because they're like, okay, they have this fucking, these high frequency um, microwaves, these high frequency ultrasounds, low frequency crickets. Yeah. Like, see. Okay. okay. Yeah. See, All I mean, right. to me, I'll leave it up to our listeners to determine, but it keeps happening at embassies. Or important areas like that. I, and it suddenly sprung up around 2016. So I, I'll i say that. Do you think Cricket suddenly decided they just wanted to fuck our shit up or not? No. Also, maybe this is a dumb question, but if it's in all of these different embassies, 
does the entire world have crickets? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's the weird thing. I know Europe and probably Australia and okay, Washington, so but what Washington actually, DC has crickets. Yeah, but the White House? Like they <laughs> Like really? Like yeah. you, the embassies in <laughs> DC and Washington. Crickets. Yeah, yeah. They're <laughs> saluting. <laughs> But yeah, who knows? Maybe maybe someone was just fed up with the administration and they're like, I don't know how I'll get it back at them. I'll release a cricket and drive them nuts. <laughs> hey, man, it can happen. But yeah, so the, it's all undetermined because they can't they can't really figure out what's causing it. So the best theories are those three. You know what? That's a good one, because I have a feeling that in like 20 years, we'll have someone come out and say, ah, yeah, I remember the Havana syndrome. Sorry about it. It was real and, you know, so-and-so was responsible for it. I believe it. So yeah. that's a good one that fits in. Now I'm worried I'm going to be writing episode 18 and I'll be like, huh? I'm ill. I'm, I'm ill. syndrome. <laughs> 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 okay, so that is spooky. And no thank you to the Havana syndrome. Also, yeah, doubt it's crickets. Yeah. Do you have one? Well, I mean, I, I did give you two. Yeah. But guess what? What? I got a third. Oh, nice. And this happened between 1945 and 1959. And it's when the United States launched the secret intelligence program. Oh. And it has a very scary name. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Operation Paperclip. Oh, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Are you fucking with me? It's not. There's not something called paperclip. Yep, it's called Operation Paperclip, and even though the name sounds non-threatening, well, it's where Nazi German scientists, engineers, and technicians were taken from former Nazi Germany to America for government employment after the end of World War II. Okay, right off the bat, you hit me with Nazis. 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 She was a Nazi. Said she was a Nazi. Doesn't like carrots, does she? <laughs> no one's going to get that reference, but maybe one person, and I love that one person. <laughs> I'm going to keep it in then for the one person yeah. that might get it. Yeah. Some of these fucking creepy Nazi German scientists, engineers, and technicians are rumored to have contributed their human experimentation experience to the Montauk Project. Oh. Okay. How? Rumors that the U.S. government had been conducting experiments in psychological warfare in Montauk at Camp Hero began in the 80s. And it was rumored to have been an extension of the 1943 Philadelphia experiment. Oh, okay. What is the Philadelphia experiment? Well, Dyson, I'm glad you asked. Yeah. The Philadelphia experiment is a conspiracy theory centered around the U.S. Navy mm -hmm. and their project to manipulate powerful electromagnetic fields. And they were doing this using these electromagnetic fields aboard the USS Eldridge. And this was a huge ship 
that they were trying to render invisible. Okay. And they wanted it to be invisible so that Nazi radar, mines, torpedoes, all of that could not detect them while they were trying to transport goods to allies in Europe. Okay. So they were like, we got to make this fucking thing visible so that we can get across the fucking ocean to our allies over there. Okay. So the U.S. military has never confirmed the existence of the Philadelphia experiment. But according to conspiracy folklore, not only were they able, was the Navy able to knock out the Nazi radar, they were pretty much successful in their experiment. But it accidentally caused the USS Eldridge to not only go invisible, but travel through time. All right. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. Hold on. I need a minute. So they, yeah. So they successfully made it invisible, cloaked it essentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there was this little hitch where it, it, it went through time. It traveled through time. I hate when that happens. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's like when you're in the shower. <laughs> oh, right. You, you know, when like you're, you're like, oh, you know, I've got like, I've got like, I got like 40 minutes before I have to get to get in the car and get to work. So I'm just going to take a quick shower. And then next thing you know, you're 30 minutes late. Well, what were you doing in the shower, Dyson? Cleaning my body. I don't wash my legs. I just let the suds run down my body. <laughs> Boris Johnson gets it. He gets it. <laughs> so the crazy thing about this all is that I guess this theory was popular enough that uh, a movie was made. Okay. And the movie was literally called The Philadelphia Experiment. And this movie was made in 1984, and it tells the story of two sailors aboard the USS Eldridge during the Second World War who are transported 40 years into the future. Okay. So there's this guy, you know, his name is Al Bielik, and he's like, he's watching the film. He's like, I'm 57 years old. I'm watching the film, The Philadelphia Experiment. Shit. Oh, shit. This movie looks familiar. Oh, my God. I think I think I have experienced something similar. Oh no. Yeah. So he was like, I gotta go to my hypnotherapist. So he goes to his hypnotherapist and he goes under all of these different hypnotherapy sessions and he ends up uncovering repressed memories about when he worked on the Montauk project in the seventies and eighties. So he claims that the memories that were repressed, that his hypnotherapist uncovered, mm-hmm. were initially forcibly locked away in his head to ensure that the experiment was kept a secret and that nobody would know about it. Oh, no. Duh, that's what a secret is. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> but as the memories came rushing back to him after these therapy sessions, he reportedly learned that his name wasn't even Al Bielik. His real name was Edward Cameron, and he worked on the Philadelphia experiment with his brother, Duncan Cameron. Oh. So he says, Bielik says that, Bielik Cameron, whatever his name is, he says that in the 1940s, Nikola Tesla figured out how to make the USS Eldridge invisible. But it opened up a wormhole. Oh, Jesus Christ. So he figured out how to make it invisible, but some fuckery happened, and now there was a wormhole into the future. So the, the ship was... Not only invisible, but it was also absorbed into this wormhole that Nikola Tesla opened up. 
Oh, God damn it. So he claims that him and his brother Duncan were on the USS Eldridge when it entered the wormhole. And they ended up jumping off of it. Mm -hmm. And they landed at Montauk's Camp Hero in August 1983. So 40 years into the future. Yep. Yep. Uh, when they got off, they were looking around like, the fuck is this? There was What's like, a beastie boy? <laughs> <laughs> fucking love the beastie boys. So they got off their, the ship. They're looking around. What the fuck is this shit? And the government is like, hey, you get back on that ship and you destroy all of the equipment that let you come back here. Understandable. So he's like, oh, fuck, okay, fucking shit. We get on him and his brother, get on the, get on with their mission. And they're like, okay, we destroyed it all. But apparently behind the scenes, the government was still doing experiments on building portals into the future. They wanted it on their own terms. They didn't want weirdos coming from 40 years earlier. Mm-hmm. They were like, get back on your shit and destroy that stuff. We're already working on it. Oh, fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, I'm sure everyone listening is like, the fuck this Al Bulick slash Edward Cameron dude is is a freak. He sounds like a freak. What are you talking about? Yeah. I'll tell you what. There's two men, Preston B. Nichols and Peter Moon, who didn't think he was a freak. And they actually helped legitimize his story when they wrote a series of books titled The Montauk Project. Oh. The series confirmed what a lot of people living in and around Montauk already suspected, that the former military base had once conducted very scary and secretive research projects. Mm. In the Montauk Project, Experiments in Time, that's the first book that they wrote, and this book is from 1992, Nichols outlines how he also recovered repressed memories about his stint as a subject in the government experiments. He titled it like a slash erotic fanfic. <laughs> the Montauk Project. Experiments in time. Oh yeah, there were. <laughs> it all started in the bowling alley. Mm. He says the Montauk facility comprised of 12 levels hidden underneath the radar station where the government developed psychological warfare techniques using electromagnetic radiation. And the fucked up part is that they would conduct these wild experiments on vulnerable people like homeless people and what they call runaway teenagers. But they're totally kids that are abducted. Yeah. And these abducted children essentially mm-hmm. um and all of like sources and stuff are referred to as the montauk boys but like they're fucking kids yeah like, some of them are the people who are just like having the time of their life on their fucking dumb bmx bike riding around the area BMX bike. and there's a guy in like a suit that's like hey kid come over here and check this shit out and then he just fucking gets taken in you want to see a wormhole right the kid's like, fuck yeah, I do. Oh, no, not again. I'm not going into that alley. <laughs> <laughs> not a bowling alley like you think. Mm-mm. So, like, they're like, oh, runaway teenagers. It's like, no, they're fucking abducted. Those are abducted children. Mm-hmm. So, all of these fucking wild techniques and procedures, whatever the fuck, that were used on these people, they all involved mind control, psychic abilities, time travel, fuckery like that. Right. So... Nichols, one of one of these dudes that's corroborating Al Bielik's story, 
He says that he was originally teleported to Montauk in 1968 to work on the radar tower, that crazy huge radar tower. Mm-hmm. The He says that the antenna would produce a signal as high as 425 megahertz, which was known to disrupt the human brain. Okay. Now, I'm reading this, and I'm realizing 425 megahertz means nothing to me because I don't know. Like, it's a radio tower. What is a normal megahertz for a radio tower to have? I don't know. Is 425 actually a lot? I yeah. don't know. Well, I, I think I can actually help you with that. No. I may have this one. Do you? You're, you're telling I, me. I may I may be able to help. Kid, you're sitting across from me and you're telling me that you, you just, you know how to help me here? Yes, I do. Okay. Take take the wheel, Jesus. All right. I actually, it'll be fun. Because okay. next time you are behind a wheel, you'll have a little more context behind what those numbers mean on your radio stations. Okay, whatever. Just get to it. Okay. Well, have you ever wondered why, if you're ch- tuning into a radio station on an FM radio, mm-hmm. that it's between 88 to 108? Oh, fuck. Actually, I guess, yeah. Sometimes I look at it and I am like, well, it's why is it always just 88 to like 107.9 or something? Like, yeah. why is that? I mean, yeah, it is weird. Well, that's actually, it's frequency in megahertz so a um, fm radio broadcast station will broadcast between 88 to 108 megahertz so oh, for example fuck. if you're around here and you want to listen to some uh new rock music no, I'm, like, I'm gonna put on the edge the edge 102.1 yeah okay that's actually broadcasting at 102.1 megahertz oh fuck yeah so that's wow, actually my mind is blown yeah i and, never i did not realize that and another cool thing to mention is when you were talking about the tower having to be recalibrated because it was oh. interrupting with the television yeah it would like fuck up like local tv and radio stations so that sweet spot of 88 to 108 mm-hmm. um to the left and to the right of it are actually um, other frequencies that are also used by other devices. Um, and so something less than 88 and something more than 108. Yes. So, for example, if we went over 108, right? Yeah. Let's say we went into uh, 180. Okay. Do you know what that might be? I literally have no idea. It was television. Back in the day when they oh. were broadcasting it and you had to have the antenna. Like, ghetto, like yeah, the fucking rabbit ears or bunny yeah. ears or whatever on yeah. top of your TV. So they would broadcast that before cable, which would be much quicker. And it would just pipe that information into your TV. Yeah. They had to broadcast it over the airwaves. Fuck. So it's like 88. So between 88 and 108 is sort of like the designated hotspot for radio Mm -hmm. and then anything outside of that is used for other things anything close to 88 and 108 is mostly television yeah i should say like am radio and shortwave radio have their own little frequencies too around that kind of number am is before fm yes that's that's right so they're 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 much lower am radio is before fm radio and then this spot's sort of designated after the fm radio is more for like local tv right yeah so like those 
uh, free public broadcast channels for local TV stations. So to hear that it is 425 megahertz is fucking wild. Yeah. Because radio is 88 to 108 megahertz. Mm -hmm. And we're getting into like straight up microwaves at this point. Yes, exactly. So it's on the same (laughs) spectrum. So microwaves, x-rays, even uh, infrared light that uh turns on that when you click that button to turn your tv on and off those are all way up there so this this radar tower is operating on a basis where every 12 seconds it is rotating and communicating with the other towers mm-hmm. and it's pumping out 425 megahertz yeah and it's... no wonder it's said to have disrupted the human brain yeah yeah like uh like I said, you know, that we have instances where it's estimated that, you know, sound attacks are messing with people's abil- like cognitive abilities, making them nauseous and stuff. Uh, who knows what that frequency might be doing? I gotta say, I'm pretty impressed that um, I'm out here like, oh, oops, should have Googled what 425 megahertz is. And you're like, hey, let me just step in real quick. Let's hit you with some frequency knowledge. Fucking- I'm a producer, baby. <laughs> Well, thank you. The context is important. Yeah. It's neat. So, yeah, this fucking guy, Nichols, he's out here claiming, like, this tower is fucked. It's messing with human brains. Um, Not only is he claiming that, he is saying that he stayed at the radar tower after he was teleported back in time and commissioned to work on it. Mm -hmm. He stayed and worked on the tower and at the tower with Al Bielik. Oh, so the guy who came 40 years in, for, 40, 40 years from the past into the future to Montauk, mm-hmm. they're both teleported into Montauk <laughs> and now they're working together Yep. and they're working on this project and this project is called the Montauk Chair. So this experiment is using electromagnetics to amplify psychic powers. Mm-hmm. Remember how Al Bielik is saying that's not his name. It's actually Edward, and he has a brother named Duncan. Yep. And they came to Montauk from the past. Mm-hmm. Well, Duncan, he's found to have psychic powers. Okay. And he became the focus of many of the Montauk chair experiments. So apparently, Duncan could sit in this chair. And he could manifest objects just by thinking about them as long as he was in this chair. The first experiment that he was told to to be a part of is called the seeing eye. So if he was sitting in this chair, he had to concentrate really hard. And if he was like holding on to some sort of like personal artifact, like someone's hair, if he had a lock of someone's hair, okay. then he could concentrate and he could see through this person's eyes. He could hear through their ears. He could feel through their body and it can be anyone on the planet. Oh, that's intense. So this fucking guy is straight up Professor X or something. <laughs> <laughs> That explains the chair. Strapped into Cerebro, like, let's go. (laughs) Nichols continued to experiment with Duncan, who was... (laughs) 
<laughs> such, who was such a powerful psychic that no one had ever suspected that he was actually the man from the past in a new body. No one was like, hey, I bet this fucking guy was part of the Philadelphia experiment who's now in a new body of a guy named Duncan. Nope. No one ever yeah, even no, suspected no one, that. No one would know. Never. <laughs> so he tried to harness, like, Nichols tried to harness Duncan's wicked powers in mm -hmm. this chair to conduct mind control experiments using the radio dishes at Camp Hero. Because, you know, they were fucking with your brain. Mm -hmm. So after several years of experimenting with Duncan in this chair, Nichols claims that they could reliably travel to other times and other places. And you're like, cool, I'd love to go anywhere on Earth. No, no, they could even go to Mars. Oh, mm -hmm. all right, we're going to Mars. They went to Mars, man. <laughs> okay. Grow some potatoes, I guess. They got to Mars and they were like, Matt Damon, is that you? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that's the first thing out of their mouth. <laughs> Isn't that the reference you were making? Yeah, it was. Okay. Yeah. Duncan was proving to be very powerful. So to try something new, they're like, you know what? I'm fucking tired of going to Mars. Let's do something new here. So Nichols' superiors told him that he had to put Duncan in the chair, do all of the experiments. Mm -hmm. Um, but when they were done, keep the chair running. So don't turn the chair off. Let it just keep going. Okay. And by doing this, it successfully created a time wormhole. Guess where this time this time warp went? Where where did it go? 1943. Oh shit. That's 40 years earlier. Oh shit. That's the Philadelphia experiment. Oh shit. Yep. And this wormhole that they created is how Ed and Duncan came through that portal from the USS Eldridge. Oh, my God. Fucking what? My mind is broken. What are portals? <laughs> what are wormholes? <laughs> <laughs> so then Nichols had a new project or like responsibility under his belt he's like fuck now i have to keep duncan from 1983 away from duncan of 1943 mm -hmm. so he's like i gotta keep them separated we cannot let them interact because worlds can't collide it's gonna be straight up back to the future in here yep so quickly he realized that time travel was fucked it was way too complex and so dangerous he did not want to mess with it anymore mm-hmm you know, that's what's dangerous. That's what's fucked. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Everything else that was going on, you know, abducting children, psychological warfare, all that good stuff. Fine. Fine. Yeah, yeah they're good with it. Time travel, though. Whew! Yeah, he, easy. We've crossed a line. That's enough of that. <laughs> so he and his colleagues, they hatched a plan. They're like, yo, Duncan, that fucking kid, he's got sick psychic powers. Let's strap him back in that chair and have him shut this project down. Mm -hmm. I got a quote here from Nichols' best-selling book, The Montauk Project, uh, um, Experiments in Time. All right. I hope it's spicy. It's something. <laughs> we finally decided we'd had enough of the whole experiment. The contingency program was activated by someone approaching Duncan while he was in the chair and simply whispering, The time is now. At this moment... He let loose a monster from his subconscious, and the transmitter actually portrayed a hairy monster. 
It was big, hairy, hungry, and nasty, but didn't appear underground in the null point. It showed up somewhere on the base. It would eat anything it could find, and it smashed everything in sight. Several different people saw it, but almost everyone described a different beast. That's creepy. It's fucked. Yeah, that's actually like very fucked it's up. so fucked. So Nichols is down there like, okay, well, this was my plan and my colleagues that we had this idea. And unleashed now his there's hairy a beast. monster, Godzilla up there, yeah. smashing shit. So you know what? I'll smash it too. And I'm Nichols. He was like, I'm fucking smashing all of the equipment that is powering this fucking chair. Mm-hmm. So he smashed it all before the beast just disappeared into God knows where. Okay. Like, I'm fucking destroying everything. Yep. So that incident, plus like the monster incident, plus the time loop wormhole anchor, whatever the fuck that was built between August 12th, 1943 and August 12th, 1983, mm-hmm. ensured that the mission would be shuttered if they destroyed everything, which is what they did. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, the next natural step is to have the employees brainwashed. Yeah, yeah. So the employees were brainwashed, and in 1984, the lower levels of the base were supposedly filled in with cement. Okay. And that marks the end, I guess, supposedly. Maybe. Supposedly. Could be. Of the fucking Montauk Project fuckery. Nightmare. Nightmare. Absolute nightmare. A hairy, hungry, nasty beast. Yep. That had to just get sent into the void by destroying all of the machinery. Yep. Fucking hell. Sounds like a certain, uh... Sounds like a certain TV show. Oh, does that sound familiar to you? Sounds a little familiar to me. Oh, fuck! Like you so astutely pointed out, this kind of sounds like Stranger Things. Kind of definitely sounds like Stranger Things. Well, Stranger Things was originally titled Montauk, but the name was later changed, obviously, to Stranger Things Mm -hmm. because production had to be moved to Indiana since filming in New York was actually really complicated and there's all these loopholes that would have had to go through and they were just like fuck it let's just change it (laughs) so parallels between the montauk project and the show are pretty obvious at this point yes very so i don't know if you live under a rock but if if you do The basic synopsis of Stranger Things is, under the guise of conducting research for the United States Department of Energy, there's this nefarious scientist at the Hawkins National Laboratory. This fucker kidnaps children, and he uses them in a variety variety of supernatural and psychic experiments. One of these subjects, you know, the one and only Eleven, or L, if you're Mike. (laughs) Yeah. Eleven escapes, and she uses her telekinetic powers to help find Will, which is that kid that's stuck in the Upside Down. Right, yep. 
But I'm like, who hasn't seen Stranger Things? And if you haven't, what are you doing? Go what watch that. are you doing? Yeah, tune that on. It's fun as hell. I love Stranger Things. Yeah. It is so good. So that's the synopsis of the show. Maybe just stop this right now and go and watch it because what the fuck? Mm-hmm. So for everyone else who's seen the show, because most of you have, I'm sure, there's a lot of parallels between the supposed Montauk Project and Stranger Things. It's set in the 80s. Mm-hmm. So is Stranger Things. There's time travel. There's psychic powers. There's portals. We've got summoning monsters. Uh, dem- yep. Demogorgons. Hello. Yep. And then there's abducted children. Yep. Eleven. She herself is obviously an abducted child. And her name is Eleven. Which means what? There were ten before. Exactly. Yep. And I know it's like, oh, the Montauk boys, but like <laughs> 11. Yeah. Now, obviously, we're talking about a conspiracy theory, some urban legend, some folklore, whatever the fuck you want to call it. So it's never been proven. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't stop people from believing it or like going to the area, searching it, all of that. So there was actually this guy. His name is Brian Minnick. And and way before Camp Hero became an official park, which I'll get into more later, he and his friends were able to explore inside of the radar tower. So while they were inside of it, they never found any like definitive evidence of like a government cover up or whatever. Right. They didn't just leave a note saying, yeah. you were right this whole time. <laughs> Love Jimmy Carter. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly no love from Jimmy Carter. No. But they did, like, find some stuff that would, you know, make you tilt your head like, huh? What's this now? Really? So they were, like, they were down there. They found different documents uh, that were left behind. There was, like, a suspicious amount of sealed entrances. Uh. And, like, to them and anybody that has been involved in this is, like, okay, well, that kind of suggests that, like... The infrastructure of Camp Hero is far more complex than anyone really knows about. And the base operated for a lot longer than officials will admit. So true to its original history, there was much more than meets the eye. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. So going back to how the land, surface land, is sold to the state. Mm -hmm. Everything below it still belongs to the government um the base is supposedly completely shut down decommissioned everything in 1984 while when brian minnick and his friends were underground and searching through this radar tower there was these weird tunnels that were blocked with these like heavy doors that they just that they described as like almost bank vaults okay but they couldn't get into. So real heavy duty doors on. Yeah, like don't you fucking go in there. Yeah. And some of the documents that I had said that they found uh, showed that there was these huge quantities of food that was being ordered for the base. And it went on years after the U.S. military had supposedly decommissioned the base. What? Yes. How what these these bills for the food guess how much money these bills were for a month how much 
Just guess. Uh, oh, let's see. It's about 20 bucks a pizza. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like for a month, let's... 8,000? 8,000? Yeah. Okay. The Bills averaged $80,000 worth of food per month. Oh my, I was trying to base it off like, you know, just a handful of guys. A handful of guys? Yeah. That are stuck at this base. 80,000 is not a handful. Years and years after this base is decommissioned, there is bills for $80,000 worth of food. What the fuck is going on over there? Fucked. So on top of them, like searching around through these mysterious tunnels, these weird rooms, they're finding that in every room, there's like fucking trippy ass wallpaper that's like... Geez, I wonder if people were trapped in this room while they were under a certain drug. A certain psychedelic <laughs> drug? I'm just trapped in this room on an acid trip. No big deal. The paper wall flowers are fucking, speaking to me. Fucking weird, right? That is very weird. So oh, I'd be so disconcerted to walk into a military base, go underground, and see a, a bunker with wallpaper. Exactly. Ew. So, yeah, like the government, like I said, the government and whatever military, they've never said like, yes, the Montauk project is real. (laughs) But, I mean, people have seen some weird shit going on there. Yeah, something's something's strange. I think, you know, I guess people say they see stranger things. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're welcome, guys. I'm, love I'm this kid. fired after this episode. <laughs> what? I, meanwhile, I'm like fucking love this kid. I'm kidding. In 1984, the land was donated to the National Park Service as it was deemed environmentally important because it's a fucking coastal town. It's right there. It's got like all these ecosystems that are important to animals and the animal life. So the National Park Service transferred ownership to New York State Parks Department and Camp Hero State Park was officially opened to the public in 2002. Okay, nice. Um, Something cool because now it's like a, a an official like state park and they still got that fucking creepy ass radar tower sitting there mm-hmm. so they're like probably looking at it like what should we do with this thing like should we keep it is it safe whatever whatever eh. and then certain people caught wind of them speculating on what to do with it yeah so it was mostly fishermen that were concerned of the dismantling of the radar tower. Okay. So fishermen from that were, were like mainly based on the Atlantic Ocean and Block Island Sound, they all lobbied together to save the radar tower because to them, especially in the day when they were out on the ocean, it's a way better landmark than the fucking Montauk Point Lighthouse. Whoa. Wow. Yeah, so they were like, don't fucking tear that shit down. When we're way out in the fucking ocean, we can't spot that shitty lighthouse. We look for that radar tower, so don't fucking tear it down, because that's our landmark. Yeah, and also fuck that lighthouse guy. Also fuck that lighthouse. There's probably some poor bastard right in the lighthouse, <laughs> and he hears that, and he's like, all these years for nothing? <laughs> Doesn't like me lighthouse, does he? Doesn't like light, does he? Today, the park features forests, obviously, it's a fucking park, 
freshwater wetlands and bluffs with views of the Atlantic Ocean. Visitors can drive through the park. They can bike. You can take your fucking horse there. You can go horseback riding if you want. Walk along the paved roads of the former military base. And like while you're there, you know, you could just like stop and have a little picnic alongside all of the fucking derelict military structures. Mm -hmm. Have a fucking time. Yeah. Over the years, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has been working with New York State to help make sure that the park is safe for visitors because, duh, the military presence was so heavy for like decades and decades. Yep. So when you go to Camp Hero State Park, you, you fucking get a brochure mm-hmm. that says, um, yeah, so if you come across any unexploded ordinances, this is what you have to do. Okay. <laughs> literally jump on it (laughs) step one no no steps step one don't step on it step one do not attempt to touch move or disturb the object two note the location Mm. three report it immediately to a park official Oh my God. Literally a brochure of how to deal with undetonated ordinances (laughs) god oh my god could you imagine you go there and you're like, man, there's just crazy things about this place. That's a bomb. Well, that's a that's bomb. What's frightening to me is because, I mean, if I saw like a grenade, I would be like, hey, that's a fucking grenade. But like, I don't fucking know what like a bomb looks like or like, like I can like picture a pipe bomb, but like yeah. a bomb or like a landmine or some shit. Like, I'm not going to fucking know. Yeah. I'm going to see a grenade and be like, oh, shit, that's a grenade. Everyone knows what that looks like. Yeah. But like, fuck. Yeah, I, I can't even like <laughs> pay someone who's like, imagine a Cold War era bomb. I'd no, be like, I, I can't. I, I don't know, know. I know what like an artillery shell looks like, but I don't think that's what they're fucking around with over here. Hopefully they have pictures in the brochure. If anyone's listening yeah. and they're from Long Island, can you please go to camp here and get us a brochure <laughs> i thought you were gonna be like send pics of bombs <laughs> oh the only sign of life admits the post-apocalyptic landscape is the occasional maintenance worker you know just casually driving around in a truck mm-hmm. just driving around in a truck in the park just looking for unexploded ordinances i don't know <laughs> Otherwise, you'll feel as if you have the entire park to yourself. The park is beautiful and you'll likely have a lovely visit, but you'll never shake the feeling that you're being watched. Whether it's from the eyes of the employees or unseen eyes trapped in a time warp, that's up for you to decide. Thank you everyone for tuning into this week's episode we hope you liked it we've never done like a conspiracy theory or anything but like i thought this was really cool and um i don't know it was probably like two years ago now that i had seen the weird article about the tower mm-hmm. and i was like oh my god check this out it's so fucking weird i loved it and it also <laughs> obviously a lot of people love that that story because yeah. it became a hit television show fucking a yeah and people don't even realize i bet a bunch of people don't even realize that's what it's from i yeah i didn't know until i had looked into the tower yeah i had no idea either i feel like people from around the area are more aware or if you're like a 
diehard Stranger Things fan that obviously you would have researched it a long time ago, but mm-hmm. it's just something really cool. Plus, we got the new seasons coming out. Part yeah. one and two is coming out this summer, April and July, I think. Or Ooh. sorry, May and July. Oh. And yep. yeah, so it's just like kind of topical. It's really neat. It's cool to switch it up. We did a couple like hardcore murders. Yeah. Um, so we just like to keep you on yeah, your toes. Switch it up. We want to keep you on your toes. We want to cover like different random cool things. We don't want it to be so like cut and dry each time. Yep. But so, we'll cover whatever. Like you at the end of the day, you're the one that's listening to this podcast. So like mm-hmm. Send in some suggestions. If you have been like sitting on a case that you think is interesting or you think is worth sharing, like send it to us. Mm-hmm. We'll add it to the catalog. Oh yeah, we'll do a damn good job too. Thank you. Yeah. Make sure you rate and subscribe to our show. You can follow us on Instagram, on Twitter. That's the best places to get a hold of us. If you do have case suggestions or have something you want to say to us, like reach out. Yeah. Well, hit a homie up. Make sure you listen to Spoils of Horror. Mm -hmm. They're my favorite podcast. I fucking love that show. Thank you, everyone, for your kind words, support, encouragement. We love you. And we'll catch you on the dark side. Bye. Guess how many military personnel it was that... Yep, yep. Uh, It was actually originally titled Montauk. But the name... The... I am tongue-twisted. Okay. Nice. I like the flourish. Thank you. I, like the park was um, officially opened in 2002, and it's still going strong today. The park features forests, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you could say that. You could say that this uh, lighthouse uh, still running strong, just like a certain. Franchise that came out in 2002. Mm-hmm. 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 Toby Maguire? I know, but it's just stupid. Thanks. <laughs> How does Spider Man connect to a lighthouse? I don't know. It was 2002 wanted to do it. I love you very much, but we're going to cut that. All right.